Hello, reader. I'm Alex. I'm Kelly. And this is the LitJoy Podcast. This episode is brought to you by LitJoy Crate's holiday events. All through November, December, readers can shop new gifts for readers in their life or for yourself and can shop special sales events. The holiday season is literally our favorite time of year at LitJoy. Myself and Kelly work with our team year-round to bring to life the perfect gifts for readers. If you're a fan of Sarah J. Moss, we have lots of items available, but new this season is the Throne of Glass Key. For classic book lovers, we've released the LitJoy edition of A Christmas Carol, and there's a darling door knocker ornament that can correlate with it. And perhaps the thing that we're most excited about is our paper art edition of Alice in Wonderland. There will be special discounts happening throughout the month of November and December, so please keep checking back in. If you're a listener tuning in when it's not the holiday season, don't worry, we've got you covered. You can use the code PODCAST10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, at litjoycrate.com slash podcast anytime for 10% off. So PODCAST10 is a 10% off discount that doesn't expire, and the way to navigate to our website is litjoycrate.com slash podcast, L-I-T-J-O-Y-C-R-A-T-E dot com slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That's where you can find everything we talk about on the podcast as far as products and sales events go. And of course, all of this info will be in the show notes. Today is our book club, our second book club of all time. And we are reading, well, we read, already done, Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. And I'm going to read a mini book synopsis for those of you who haven't read this book yet. And uh, you can go ahead and just skip past this part if you have read it. Just so you all know, after I read this book synopsis, we will dive into the book club and it will be all about the details of the book. So if you have not read Divine Rivals yet, pause, spoiler alert, spoilers, Spoiler alert. Pause. Read the book. Listen to the audio if you want. The readers were beautiful readers Mm -hmm. on the audio. And then come back and listen to the episode because we want to hear what you thought and we want you to read this book. That's why we're recommending it. So, okay, perfect. Written by Rebecca Ross in 2023. That's this year. (laughs) Divine Rivals is the first installment of the Letters of Enchantment duology. So book two is coming out this year as well in December. So by the time this book club comes out, it could have released this. This book club episode will be right in the middle of December, I believe. So it could be out or not. The story follows protagonists Iris Winnow and Roman Kitt, rival journalists and mystery pen pals from that feels like that's a spoiler. I'm glad we gave the spoiler warning. I can't believe that's in the synopsis. From Oath, who independently became war correspondents to report on the conflict between two rival gods in the West. An epic enemies-to-lovers fantasy novel filled with hope and heartbreak and the unparalleled power of love. Divine Rivals explores a variety of powerful themes, such as relationships in wartime, the emotional connectivity of the written word, and the dangers of censorship. All right, let's dive in then, and let's talk about this book. Um, Alex and I, in a previous episode— um, interviewed Rebecca Ross. So definitely check that out. I think it's our third or fourth episode. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. The first but four. It was such a, an amazing interview with her. We got a lot more backstory um, and context to certain things in the book and some really beautiful moments uh, that felt really emotional 
you know, when I went back and watched those episodes and I would highly recommend listening to that. Yeah. But reading the book first. <laughs> so right. read the book, then listen to the podcast with Rebecca Ross, then come back and listen to this yes. podcast. <laughs> this is the homework we're giving. But this is the fun. We get to talk about everything, spoilers and all. You know, we were being very careful and cautious about what we were talking about when with Rebecca because we didn't want to have any spoilers. But there's so many things we haven't had a chance to really dive into. So let's dive. Let's do it. For anyone interested in uh, reading this book who hasn't, we've warned you many times, but this is your last chance that this will be full of spoilers. Warning. And uh, this book, while I would recommend it for a wide variety and uh, audience, um, there is some trigger warnings that we just like to remind people that yeah. there can be, you know, certain people just like to know what's coming up. So if you haven't read this book and you don't know, some of the warnings are just can be violence there's uh, death involved there is ptsd there's war um but i thought she handled it all really really gracefully yeah nothing felt too intense for me i felt like it was very tastefully done but also it handled some intense themes like yeah. wartime and and um and i felt like it felt really relevant to the story and i yeah. i felt like it gave a lot of depth to the story too yeah so, yeah why don't we just dive in and talk about the setting then because that kind of set it up for that I love the setting of this yeah. book. The setting was one of my favorite parts of the book. It pulled you into this very World War One England kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Like um, you felt like you were in the rainy streets of London, but it is set in a mythical world. Yeah. So it is not, it does not take place on Earth it, it, or in time on Earth. Mm -hmm. um, but it was... Yeah, very mythical and yeah. or, or very like London with magic kind of a thing. It was so uh, interesting while I was reading it because there were moments that I completely forgot that this was a, like a fantasy world because there are mythology. There's like mythological creatures or gods. Both of mm -hmm. those exist, but it felt very, very grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. And so it, it it was always not a little like jarring when I was like, oh, yeah, there's gods and stuff like this is not actually supposed to be taking place during like World War One or World War Two. But she did a beautiful job of like integrating a really grounded world. Yeah. And then she's like, and here's your little sprinkle of magic. Yeah. So that was really unique. I haven't had a setting like that in a while in a book. Yes. I, I also I love the setting of the office that they um that, so they're both writers, journalists. And yeah. so the journalist's office was such a fun setting to be immersed in because it's like clickety-clack of typewriters mm -hmm. and like, you know, their boss who's like giving them only one chance to get the story right. Like there's yeah. that really scrappy journalist kind of feeling that you see in like wartime reporting. And so it felt, um, I immediately, it, it felt really cinematic is what the setting felt like. I felt as if I was watching the book like a movie. Yeah. And I know people describe books that way. And I'm a really visual thinker. So most books kind of appear to me as movies. Like if they don't naturally, I kind of am grasping to like get them into a cinematic mm -hmm. perspective. But in this one, I felt immediately into it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it felt visceral. And I really loved the setting as kind of a character in the book. Oh, yeah. And a side note, we're going to talk about the typewriter some more. Uh, yes. I didn't realize Rebecca, the author, Rebecca Ross, I think she collects old typewriters. And I think it was a really mm -hmm. fun way for her to kind of just like tuck in that little, you know, just little moment for herself into the book and make it really an integral part of the book. Oh, yeah. The typewriter is totally a character in the book, yes. which is super fun. I'm just like, it's like 
catnip for readers <laughs> that it's like yeah. rainy London enemies to lovers type magical typewriter. I'm mm-hmm. all yes. I love it's it. All so of our much. favorite things. I know. Did you say tea as well? Damn it. That's perfect. We're like, there was tea. <laughs> Feels so cozy. <laughs> um, let's dive in. I'm gonna go to question one because I feel like this question. Oh yeah. All right. Discuss Iris and Roman slash Carter's relationship when they work together as journalists. I am like a diehard enemies to lovers. Oh yes. Like fan. Me too. So this one worked for me. <laughs> I loved it. Their relationship was such a fun arc, right? Because, and I almost forgot that Roman slash Carter, you know, because I know uh, there's letters happening. And Okay, let's just tell them. Like, oh, well, that's I was right. like, they've already read it. I don't know why the hell we're like beating around the bush. Let me, let's remind them. So Iris, just for those of you who read it a little while ago, I'll give a little update. Iris, she lost her... Well, she lost her father and her brother went to war for one of these warring gods. Mm -hmm. And um, she misses her brother deeply because her mom is kind of falling apart emotionally and mentally. She's totally falling apart and alcohol abuse and things like that because she's lost her husband and her son's off at war. And and so she writes letters on this old typewriter that her grandmother gave her Mm -hmm. to kind of as therapy. She writes letters to her brother who's at war. And he can't receive the letters. There's nowhere to send them to. Um, but she kind of just starts writing them. And then the letters, uh, they go somewhere when she puts them into yeah. her cupboard, essentially. Yeah. And the person who's receiving these letters, she doesn't know who they are, but they start writing back after a few months. And, of course, it's her work enemy who's super hot. Of course. Yes. <laughs> who's uh, receiving these letters because he has the other magical typewriter. And so yeah, that's kind of where they're – he knows it's Iris. He figured it out pretty quickly. Yeah. She was giving more specifics, right? Because she thought she was writing to her brother Forrest. Yes. And then I think she finally asks, like, who are you? Who am I writing to? And that's the name that he gives back is Carter. Carter. So he has that alias kind of on the side. I think it's, uh, no, she, she, it's his middle name because his full name is Roman Carter Kit. And yeah. he goes by Roman C. Kit. Yeah. And so she just doesn't know that it's Carter. Yeah. So he's like, I've never lied to you. I know. You know, like that is my name. I know. But not the one you knew. Well, and it's also because like she's such a, he has so much respect for her for being a brilliant writer. And he's clearly totally in love with her. And he also doesn't want to let his family down by not getting the position that they're both competing for. It's so cute because he doesn't want to embarrass her by telling her that he knows it's her. But he also really doesn't want her to stop being honest with him about herself because she's so guarded at work. Yeah, that's for sure. So Iris, the protagonist, uh, she's extremely um, armored up. Mm -hmm. She's very much guarded. She's lost everyone that she's close to mm-hmm. spoiler as we've mentioned like so she lost her grandma then her brother went to war then she lost her mom right like it so in her history she's just abandonment is what she's used to in yeah. some form or another and so she's very guarded at work and i think that i don't know when uh roman started to really like her at what point because i think it they did kind of start a little bit. I like think they were enemies. always attracted to each other, like physically attracted to each other. But yeah, there was something there, right? There was like a yeah. buzzy energy between them. And she always had the story going on about him. 
And I don't think he had the same story, right? Like she was just like, oh, he's always trying to one up me and he's always better than me. And he comes from this rich family, gets whatever he wants. He's spoiled. Like I've had to work so hard to get here. And so like, that's what's playing in her head and what's up. It's fueling her hate fire, right? To like go (laughs) further. And I think on the flip side, he's just, um, he's in like this automatic robotic type mode, um, function that he's dealing in because of his family's uh, mess in a different way. Mm-hmm. The pressure that he feels on top of the loss that he experienced, like he's just trying to survive and get through the day and make his parents proud because he feels so guilty over what happened with his sister. And I think Iris comes along and is like this breath of fresh air for him. Totally. He's just like, I've never, especially when the letters start too, but he's just so intrigued by her and somebody living the way she wants like living with so much passion and living and doing the thing that she wants to do because he's not living that life. Yeah. And I think that's what his, like where it started for him. And then it took her a minute. I think that she was always like, he's my competitor. So there's always this back and forth, but it took her much longer, I think, to actually like lay down the armor um, and just see him. Yeah. But oh, it was so fun getting the dual point of view in the book when we'd get to hear from Roman and they get to hear from Iris. It's yeah. always such a treat to be able to pull back and look behind the curtain is what it feels like when you hear from both sides. And I also think that Rebecca did a really good job of being really thoughtful about like the names that she gave her characters because, you know, like Iris, that kind of flower is actually very delicate and strong at the same time. And I think that that also plays into her character. Roman, I don't know. I'm sure there's a whole thing there. I know. Authors and how they name their characters is so interesting because I think that they know they'll be asked why. Mm. And so I think they're thoughtful about why they name characters a certain way. Yeah. It was so fun to get to see if it was like part like part one of the relationship. And then, you know, if some major things happen, big plot twist, you know. Well, uh, Iris goes to war to be a war correspondent. She quits to go and, do this. Uh-huh, yeah, But she does take her typewriter. Yeah. And so what happens with that is she's so... She quits her journalist job uh, and immediately goes to the competing journalist who is actually sending war correspondence yeah. because there's different news outlets that are not reporting the war yeah. for political reasons. And hers wasn't. So she quits and she heads over to the competitor and she's like, send me out. And I love that part of the book. I love that they go to this like dingy basement of a reporting like a news station and they're like, we're going to make this happen, you know. And so she... She goes to war as a war correspondent and um, she's out there for quite a while, but she takes her typewriter. And so she's still writing to Carter. Mm-hmm. And I love I, I, I am curious. Um, what would you do, Kelly, if you uh, had a magical typewriter and someone was writing you back? I'm like, how would that go for you? I'm all, am I married at this time? Am I not? I'm like, I need the full backstory. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, we'll do two parts. Part one, you <laughs> are not married. You have a magical typewriter. What do you do with the letters that you're sending? I'm like, do you trust that person? I, well, if, okay, if we're, if we're swapping yeah, places. Yeah, I can hear you laughing over I'm all, I don't know. If we're swapping <laughs> places, this is interesting because it, it's like, I think, especially if I was Iris in her position, literally has nobody. Yeah. And I have somebody totally there to listen and be empathetic and want to know more. Yeah, 100%. I'm a free therapy. <laughs> this is what it yeah. feels like, you know, and just having a connection. She was so lonely. Um, and she didn't know what it was like, I feel like, to have a connection that she could even rely on. Yeah. 
So if that was me, I'd 100%. And it's interesting because in the book, it's not that big of an eyebrow raise that she has like a magical typewriter, which just adds to this, you know, like little charming. It's so charming. Yeah. It, and I liked it. It was a little bit like, oh, that's weird. I'm just going to go with it. You know, like mm-hmm. that was about it. And I was like, all right, we're just a little bit almost felt like magical realism going on there. And mm-hmm. um, oh, my gosh, especially with my personality as a kid. Poor Carter, yeah. we gotten so many letters. Like, <laughs> I wake up and be like, "Here's how I'm feeling right now," and come Here's back. Here's how I was feeling at four. Here's how. Yeah. Let's talk. I want to know all the things. So I would have absolutely loved that. I know. Did you have a real life pen pal? Mm-hmm. I did. I yeah. did too. Yeah, I had a couple. Like, I was very young when I first had pen pals. Like, I remember sending crackers once in my envelope, being yeah. like, "You can enjoy what I'm enjoying right now." Like, I was like six. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was such things. a pen pal person. Yeah, Ugh, that art is sort of dying out, but I, I I'm like, we got to revive it. It having the time. <laughs> crackers solve our our customers. They're like, <laughs> I I was a big writer as a kid. Like I yeah, wrote all my thoughts and feelings down for my parents, for my friends, for my grandma, for the pen pal. I was just like, where can I put it all? So mm-hmm. if you're, that's why I'm like, when you asked me if I could have a magical typewriter, I'm like, hundred <laughs> percent. But if I'm falling in love with a character, that's why I was like, do I have permission to not be married? I was like, permission granted to not be married and to have a magical <laughs> typewriter. I think that I, if I was doing writing on a magical typewriter, I think I would not have enough self-control to stop writing. But I also would definitely be like a little bit guarded about who's receiving. Like, I know that I have the propensity to fall in love with people just like trust people and adore people and so i've had to like develop these coping mechanisms where i'm like do not just think the best of them (laughs) like i think i would have like these protective walls where it's like don't you dare fall in love with it It could be like some person who's like married with 15 kids you don't know like that i would always have this doubt and i was like she always just kind of trusted in the book that it was going to work out and that this Carter person was like actually who he said he was. Mm-hmm. So I think there might be two kinds of people with this type of communication. Because I think there's one type of person who's like, I don't know who this is. I'll probably never know them. It feels very low risk. And then the other person in my mind is like, I don't know you. So I'm not going to spill my all my thoughts to you, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, we're not that close. And And so I just feel like, there are there's two modes of how you can approach it. And I think that um, Iris does that a little bit. But I, I think I would just 100% be like, here's all my thing, my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> I think I would, too. I think I would just actually be afraid that I'd fall in love with them. Yeah, that's like, why I'm like, if I'm not married, then that'd be great to just enjoy that. So what did you think of Iris's mom? Because she was actually, she was a difficult character to read. Yeah. Um, and... She helped Iris, Iris's mom and her abusive behaviors and her negligent behaviors and her alcoholism. I think that was kind of a tricky character to read and and yeah. definitely helped Iris. It, it motivated her, I think. But Okay, so just as a reminder, um, Aster, I believe is her name. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she was drinking before Forrest left, correct? Like, yeah, but at the same time, Forrest and Iris were really close yeah, and it worked really nicely there. But as soon as Forrest left, it was like something in the puzzle broke and her mom 
couldn't deal. And so, yeah, she started drinking and um, being passed out when she come home or sometimes she didn't know where she was and she come home the next day if I remember and so um Iris had to grow up she yeah. had to be one of those kids who didn't get a chance to just enjoy her childhood and I mean it's during war and again it feels very much like the communication again feels just like there's no not really a lot of telephones around obviously yeah. there's no like quick way to find people and and so Aster was hard to read but at the same time it makes total sense for the story of her trajectory and i think it adds to her backstory of just the abandonment again and she realized like okay because her mom passes away and the way she dealt with that i felt like was very telling of her personality too she kind of like took care of everything very like clinically almost yeah she went into like survival mode yeah to make it all happen and it was so hard it was hard because in the book when her mom passed away iris didn't go into work she died in an accident and um and that's when roman showed up because she didn't come to work and yeah and i wanted do you ever find this in books i find that when i'm reading these romanticy books i just want them so badly to just realize they're in love in the beginning of the book. And I'm like, that's not what the point of the book is. But I think that that's a testament to like how good the book is. Yeah. Because he showed up to kind of save her and she was like, thanks, but I'll save myself. Yeah. Kind of a thing. And I loved her character for that reason that she was able to do that. And I also wanted her to just accept his help so badly. I know. But again, that's like she's never been able to rely on anyone. Yeah. So she's like, I ain't starting now. And I don't want to feel the disappointment of opening that up. Right. No. And it's and which makes such a beautiful like arc with their story. I know. Because you know how hard it is for her to do that. Mm-hmm. And he's just over there like, I'm just going to keep trying. I'm like, we can we can skip to that part because I want to ask you what you thought about their wedding, about their wedding and then oh, their yeah. wedding night. And I thought it was really sweet. So. I loved how they got married in the garden. Yes. Now, fast forward, they're together at the war uh, front and uh, they're getting ready to go out on a, like, they have to go out to the front. Yeah. But the day before, they're like, we're going to get married in this beautiful garden that we've all been trying to help grow. And uh, it was a surprise. She didn't realize that she was going to be getting married. They just like. I loved that part. Surprised though. her, like, tried to, like, you need a bath. You smell. Like, know. you know. How long did it take before you realized that they, she was getting ready for her wedding? It was right around the time when her friend was telling her, like, shoving her to go take a bath, basically, yes. you know. And I was like, oh, something's going on here. And I'm here for it. I loved kind of that moment in her home where he comes and you can tell that he's showing her that he cares about her there. Yeah. And her walls are all up. And so she's receiving no help. But but at the end of the story, I loved the wedding scene and how her walls are completely down. Yeah. And how much she can see like that authentic love that he is sending her way and that full circle moment. And it's so frustrating because there is two books. And so when they end the book and they're not together, they are still in love. Yeah. But war circumstances pull them apart. I'm all sad off. I know. We're back at it, but. It was so cute. Yeah, because they get married and then they basically, everyone's like, go do your thing, you know, like go yes. to the bedroom and enjoy your time. And it was it, really sweet. It, it was is a fade to black though. Yeah, it's yeah. a very sweet romance. I just love the moment when she finally does, you know, symbolically and literally strip her armor, take off her clothes and then 
spend that time with Roman and have their wedding night. Yeah. Then to wake up the next day and be like, all right, I love you. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because he says it, but she doesn't. Yeah. And then they go to war. They go to the war front and then they were separated. I know. (laughs) I'm so excited for book two. I'm like, yeah, this is making me excited. Well, we talked a little bit about Iris's character arc. Yeah. I'm like, what about Roman's character arc? Like in, from the beginning to the end, because he had to overcome. I He had to overcome a lot of expectations of this family. He overcame an arranged marriage. Like mm-hmm. he had to leave his family, his wealth, his yeah. society and went to the war front without approval from anyone. But it's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I loved Roman's character arc. I thought that he, I just always felt like he was a good guy. Like even in the beginning when he was like super competitive, I just always thought he was so charming of a character. He was really sweet. Like they, you know, I think Rebecca did a really good job of portraying in Iris's mind that he wasn't a good guy, you know, with the stories that she was writing. But like as a reader, we were all like, Oh, come on. Give him a chance. Yeah. Like, 100%. Come on. He's a good guy. And, you know, I'm such a sucker for someone like a guy that has uh what's the word I want to use? <laughs> has demons probably, you know, yeah. to overcome. And I'm over here like, you can do it. And uh, it, it's like his arc was so interesting because he realized so much in one moment. Um when he pushes back on his dad, right? Yes. And, and like, I'm not going to marry someone that I have zero interest in just to make you happy with our families and alignment, yeah. you know, like, and she had like really no interest to marry him from what I remember. And um, so there was that arc. Well, the reason their families were aligning is because they were creating chemical weapons. Yeah. For war. Like it was very so, political. Yeah, super political. And I'm I'm excited to so the chemical weapons that go off at the end of the book yeah. are supplied by his ex fiance. And I'm really excited to see how that ties in in book two. Mm-hmm. And I know Rebecca, she did say in book two that you get more of the two gods, which is Dacre and Enva. Yes. They're also gonna be more in book two, which is like yeah. whoop whoop. What I also really appreciate about his whole story arc is that not only is he overcoming like just family expectations and the wealth and all of the pressure there, he was living with so much guilt, so much guilt yeah. after her his sister drowned. Yeah. Oh, and he felt so, so responsible for it because he was there and fell asleep, um, and she drowned. I don't. I can't remember how young she was. But she was like five. Yeah. She, she was little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, did her parents blame him? Did his her, parents, her dad, yeah, her dad did for sure, or his dad did yeah, for yeah. sure, because he was like, like you know, what you owe this family. That was mm. kind of the theme. Ah, that's right. That was I like, just think like parents can mess their kids up. Oh yeah, and I'm like every story. I'm just like, yeah, this came from somewhere. Like, yeah, those experiences, you know. But yeah, I felt my heart just broke for him because he already had this tendency to want to solve problems yeah and any he, he wanted to make his family happy and i think that that's just like super relatable as a human being and wanting to be the person who your parents can count on or not wanting to add to their grief not wanting to add to their stress and then knowing that you were somehow part of their biggest grief yeah that is just like a, a huge burden yeah and I think it just showed how much more courage he needed 
to have to tell them no mm-hmm. and to go do something and something really dangerous, like going to the war front to report on the war. That's not that, that's a very brave thing to do, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, what did you think about the scenes when they were at war? Because uh, I think where you see like his bravery really come full circle is when they're in the trenches at war. So they they go out to the war front. So they kind of are stationed away from the war front um, and just go into the war front to report and come out. And when they went into the war front, they're in these trenches, which is really similar to World War One, I, mm-hmm. I think, and how she described it. Yeah. And um, and that's before they are open about their feelings with each other. But they start to really it, it starts to be clear to I think both of them that they're starting to have major feelings for each other. And there's that moment where he um sees like a grenade that gets dropped into the the pit where they're at and he puts his body between hers and the grenade and saves her. Yeah. And I felt like that's that's a hero. Yeah. Like that's a really courageous person to put your life, you know, to put someone else's life before your own. Mm-hmm. And so I love that moment that he got to save her when he couldn't save his little sister. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely saw that parallel lining up mm-hmm. where he I think he realized with his family, like, there's no saving this, you know, like our family isn't functioning great, you know, and I'm miserable. Everyone's miserable. And he's like, I'm going to save myself and I can save Iris. If I couldn't save her, my, you know, my sister. And I, I, I don't know why when he said that immediately reminded me, I'm calling it his Darcy moment when he was like walking towards her when they were all like. Like the sirens had gone off, right? And everyone's supposed to be home and be safe because oh, the gods is, are out. Okay, like, so Iris went to war first. Yes. Didn't know he was coming. And that she she sees him walking through the fields. And I was like 100% Darcy. The Darcy moment, you yes. know, where it's like, you just imagine billowing, you know, as like there's like a little bit of <laughs> the music. <laughs> I'm imagining like a little mist, you know, but it, it was like dark. 100%. Well, I think it was dark. And like the sirens had gone off because the like creatures were out the sirens go off when there's like essentially kind of like these dragon yeah, yeah. creatures that come and drop bombs yes and so and he doesn't know yet because he's a new war correspondent so he doesn't he's know like, any of the rules and then he just sees her running towards him and he's like iris <laughs> yeah and she's like wait roman you know and then of yeah. course he's got his typewriter mm-hmm. and everything but i just that moment where he's like walking towards her doesn't have any clue that like any second he could be yes. totally attacked. And she's just like dead sprint at him. And she's just running towards him. And he's like, yes, this is exactly what I imagined. And she's like, we got to get out of here. No, then she just form tackles him to she the just ground. She grabs him. Yeah. And then like, and then I think he, yeah. And they're like laying, holding each other. And she's like, don't freaking move. We're all going to die. And, and he's, he's like, okay. <laughs> kind of reminded me. Okay. This is, I don't know where this is coming from. But that moment in New Moon. When, uh, you know, Edward's like trying to reveal himself to like, the Volturi. And so yeah. he's, he's like, I'm going to go sparkle out in the sunlight. And he's got like hair on one nipple, but no I hair on the other. deal. Why? Can't deal with that. Sorry. That was the first thing I said when that moment happened. I'm all, but why? What's with his nipple? <laughs> Shave the one. <laughs> or neither. Why? <laughs> but we digress. But that moment, you know, when she, you know, just like lunges at Edward. Um What's oh her? yeah, Bella. I'm like, Bella. I put her out of my mind, and you know, she just like <laughs> lunges on him and is like trying to protect him. That's exactly this kind of moment that's happening. Oh yeah, and it, you know, the way Edward just like closed his eyes and like breathed her in, almost like this must be heaven. Like that's kind of yeah. how I imagined it with Roman. Oh, was just like he's like, I don't care if I'm about to get 
you know, bomb dropped in me or taken away. Well, but like, he didn't know, to be fair. He, was he didn't. Just, he was like, wow, she's really into me now. Yeah. And he's just like, hey. And I was like, hey. She's like, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. It was so cute. That's where, like, the he's entire there. arc switches, right? Yeah. I mean, he was there all along. He was into Iris most of the book. Yeah. But then she was like, hmm. And I actually kind of thought that the her inner conflict of being because she doesn't know that he's Carter. Yeah. Until when? I can't remember the reveal. It was um, later when they're in the house. Uh, it at the, it is at in the, the house. Front. Yeah. 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 Um, and she she's kind of in conflict because she's like, I oh, he says something and then he writes it in the letter. Yeah, as like code. That's right. That's right. Um, but no, she's like has this inner turmoil where she's like, I'm in love with Carter kind of. And I'm like really starting to feel things for Roman. And we're all like, it is both. It is one. (laughs) So I'm like, no conflict. Enjoy. (laughs) Just have a good time at war. But then, you know, there's that moment of like, you kind of manipulated me and lied to me. Like that's how she's feeling. I thought it was going to be a bigger deal. Like I I thought she she was going to be more ticked off about it. Honestly. Cause she's like, I just told you everything. And like, you didn't think you needed to inform me. (laughs) But then I was also like, thank you for not making it a big deal, you know, because I, I know. really wanted them to have those moments. So it didn't bother me, I guess. It's, like, it didn't bother me. Yeah, no, it felt really feel good at the end there. Yeah. And then until it didn't. Until her brother showed up, Spoilers. which I, w- I was like, her brother f- seems to have been through things. So apparently he basically either died or was almost dying. Correct. Right. When Dacre found him. Yes. So Dacre, uh, remind me, Dacre is the god that we're like, barf. Yeah. So he, (laughs) and so Enva's like the musical one that they're fighting for. And she, it's a real Persephone's Hades situation. She's kind of the Persephone character who gets, who escapes by musical seduction. Yes. And soothing. She's like a siren, but she actually has an instrument, like a lute or something. I'm trying to remember. And I'm pretty sure it's saxophone. <laughs> it's the saxophone. It's a cowbell. 100 percent. There used to be hundreds of gods, but they couldn't stop warring each other. And they got down to five. Mm-hmm. And they were like put into some sleep, right? Like the humans found a way to put them to sleep. And then I'm trying to remember. Um, but Dacre and Imba have awoken. Something has awoken them. And, and, and now it's they're not fighting. clear what's awoken them. Yeah. But they're back at war. And Dacre. This part was one of my favorite parts of the book. It really set up two, but essentially chemical bombs dropping. Yeah. And Iris and Roman are together. Well, then they get separated and then Roman finds her again, but it's not actually Roman. It's Forrest dressed like Roman. And he takes her away from all the chemical warfare mm-hmm. and helps her escape back to the city where they were from. Yeah. And leaves, leaves Roman behind. And, yeah. um, What's cool is in book two, we're going to get more of what's going on for Roman. I love mm-hmm. that uh, her brother Forrest talks about. So he's basically like he's seen some shit. And what he's yeah. seen is he was almost dying. Dacre rescues him by instead essentially enslaving his will to his to Dacre's will. Yes. And so Dacre's like, from what I gather, he's like, you will his soldiers who are fighting for him are not doing so by choice. Many of them are actually enslaved to him and he is controlling their will. Yes. And Roman, the only reason Roman didn't die in the gas is because Dacre rescues him. Yes. And essentially sends him like through the ground down to hell. Yeah. It's like the epilogue chapter where we we hear what's happening with Roman because at the end of the actual book, we're like, so is he dead? Is he not? 
And then the epilogue happens and we hear Dacre talking about him where he sees that he is basically dead. And actually, I think I have the quote here. Dacre is thrilled with the discovery of Roman at Avalon Bluff as he has never had a war correspondent serving in his forces. Given what the novel suggests about the power of written word, in what ways does Dacre use his power to his, his advantage in the sequel? Like, what are our guesses there? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, politically, right? Like, that is what happens in real war. It happens yes. in this book. Different uh, news outcasts or um, outlets, outlet places only report about one or the other. And it's very skewed. It, it's totally what like the censorship is happening. Yes. And so Dacre is like sweet. Look what I just found. And so he repairs his soul is kind of the vibe I got. Yeah. Like heals his body essentially. Because yeah. he was like, he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And he did. He like sent them him down to like the underworld or something. Yeah. He like opened up like a little. Okay. Remember there was a moment where like there was like this weird circle. Yep. He put in the, the circle ground, around him. Mm-hmm. And it's like. Vroom, and they saw one of those circles and they're like, where'd that person go? <laughs> <laughs> there's just a circle it's here the aliens it's the aliens 100 percent. i was like <laughs> oh my gosh are there aliens <laughs> the first time i heard that i was like sounds like one of the grades i'm like who knows maybe rebecca's gonna throw that in we're all gonna be shocked we're all paranormal <laughs> <Yeah>. what <laughs> totally not rebecca's vibe that would be hilarious though she's like by the way aliens <laughs> but we do have some information about what's happened to um, roman in ruthless vows the second book i was like shut up tell so me i'm more. gonna read it it says Roman has been magically bound to the under uh, underling god and is now tasked with writing war propaganda for Dacre. He healed him from the brink of death in the golden fields of Avalon Bluff. His memories have been stripped, and yet magical letters, uh, yet magical letters that appear through his wardrobe door urge him to betray Dacre and follow his heart to Iris. Oh my god! So gosh. is this really like? What is this movie? What I'm thinking of, where the, like Fifty First Dates or something? Like yes. he's forgotten his memories because they've been stripped. So that's why how he controls these people. But does any have a ring? Oh, is this Lord of the Rings too? What's happening? Uh, no, no, no. Like, I'm like, he, I wonder if he remembers, because he doesn't remember he's married. And so oh. she has to convince him to fall in love with her again. I, yeah, that's what I'm guessing. And, but because he convinced her to fall in love with him in the first one. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be cute? such a cute book. Well, and it reminds me. Okay. So if you remember, she actually never said, I love you. Right. To Roman, even on their wedding night. And because she talks about it in the very end how she's like, I regret that now. Yeah. You know? And so I'm like, maybe this is just that final piece for her to really, truly take all that armor off. Yeah. As you mentioned, too. Because she has to fight for him. Fight for him mm-hmm. and remind him of their love. And so I'm like, oh, I'm excited for that, like, full circle. This is going to be a good December. Don't break my heart, Rebecca. <laughs> I don't feel like she will. I'm nah. like, I feel like with Rebecca's books, there's always, like, this... There's like this happy, happy and slightly like not ironic, but there's there's a happy ending and a thoughtful ending. Yeah. Like I feel like Lainey Taylor's books are like that, too. There's some um, characters or sorry, some authors that I read, Jay Kristoff, where you don't know if anyone that you like in the book is ever going to survive. Yeah. <laughs> like they just kill them off. I know. And, but I don't think Rebecca's like that, right? She's no. like, I don't want to live in that kind of world, you know? But she puts them through things for sure. That's the point of the story. But yeah. uh, it, it does also remind me of Hunger Games, right? With like yes. Peta. And he's, his memories kind of get stripped, same thing. And Katniss has to remind him like, that was we love such you. a good part of each that other. book. Yeah. Oh, that but was messed up. Too, it was it was awesome. a great it was a great part of the movies too. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. We don't have to go down a Hunger Game rabbit hole, but I could. I know. What would you say in this book? What would you say is your favorite character, or what character arc did you enjoy the most? I probably Roman. 
I mean, yeah. I, I do enjoy Iris, but there's just something about Roman's charm and sweet authenticity and his like just pure desire to be whatever Iris needs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's so sweet. He's so sweet. He's but really at the same sweet. time, he's not a pushover or anything no. like that. Like he's got a really good balance and he had a lot going on with him too. And I think we're going to fall even more into Iris's story, obviously, in Ruthless Vows with her arc. And I'm excited to kind of see how that ends up. What about you? I probably am Roman as well overall. Just yeah. found him to be very charming. And I loved how endearing he was. Um, But I feel like the reader probably relates a lot to Iris. Um, And I related to kind of her overcoming these different self-doubts. Yeah. And like learning to, I think trust herself or also just like hold herself up and to be really scrappy. Mm-hmm. And so I related to that a lot, but Roman's arc was really darling. and He was like a really lovable yeah. character in the end. And I think probably the character I'm most excited about though is Dacre. I was going to say, let's talk predictions too. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I tend to really love villains in books though. Like I, I like the, I like the villains that have, interesting stories or that create chaos in stories because I feel like that's so necessary to like the hero's journey. I was such a sucker for like the Darkling and I was like, I'm not supposed to, but this is even hotter now because I'm not supposed to like him. I know. Well, like sometimes hot ones, but even like he just had depth to him. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm like, I didn't like even in Harry Potter, I didn't like Umbridge as (laughs) a villain. Like she was, painful to yeah. get through but i love snape as oh, a villain yeah, yeah. i love the complexity of that character and so i'm excited to see dacre and emva and how they interact mm-hmm. i think there'll be a, a lot more of them in book two and i think if i predicted book two iris will somehow convince roman that he should fall in love with her and then she'll reveal it to him that they're married somehow and that he'll get his memories back Okay. That's what I'm going to predict. I am hoping we we hear more about Enva. Yeah. Uh, and because we haven't hardly gotten much. And Rebecca in our interview with her was like, prepare yourselves because you're going to hear a lot more about the gods in the yeah. second book. And I'm like, yes. Because book one is really just, we got to set up their relationship, their backstories, and which I thoroughly enjoyed. And now we get to go even deeper and hear more of the backstory of the gods and what the war is all about. Mm-hmm. And I am very curious to see both sides on that i also want to know what the hell with forest like yeah forest <laughs> is in a dark place her brother right it's like it's him but it's not him because the, you know dacre's got so much power he's like stripping their memories he's using yes. them like puppets and so i'm very curious to see what kind of relationship they're gonna have and also like is he gonna overcome his trauma is he going to stop because he dragged mm-hmm. her away from war is he going to prevent her from going back from finding her husband yeah Oh, that's right, because she went back, saw the ring, and, f- like, the ring burned in, and yes. then his ring, right? Yes. Then she found the, her, his wedding oh, ring. Oh, I don't re- I didn't remember the second ring. Yes. Oh, I my thought, gosh. And so she brought back the wedding ring, and that's probably what she'll end up having to give him to remind him. Yeah. Oh, we're looking at the puppy eyes. Like, <laughs> it's going to be so cute. I'm so excited to read it. It's going to be perfect to read over Christmas break, too, to, yeah. like, just dive in. It made me just, oh, it made me want to, like, pour a cup of tea yeah. and like cozy up next to a fire. It was such a like enveloping read. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to have one of those because you're right. Some books you're like, I will not recover from this for mm-hmm. a while. And 
And so this one will be a good holiday read for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's so beautifully written. I believe it comes out Ruthless Vows, December 26th. Perfect. Um, And for sure, I'm getting that for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Such a great duology. So the two books, which is also kind of nice every now and then to not have to wait for three. Oh, yeah. I'm always like, thank you. When you can wrap it up in two. But I love when it takes more than one book as well. Yeah. I'm all. (laughs) I don't know. I I probably would have. Uh, it Re- could Rebecca be Rebecca is so interesting because she always writes duologies. Like, she does. And that just seems to be the cadence that works for her. Um, and I would say like, oh, I wish this was a trilogy and I had more. But my favorite, one of my favorite series of all times is a duology. Yeah. And so I actually feel like I've never had a trilogy that's my favorite. When I think back on it, I'm right. like, probably my favorite fantasy series of all time is probably Throne of Glass. And that's like fucking eight books. I don't know. <laughs> Sarah J. Moss is like, I'm just going to keep writing. She's like, it'll never end. And I'm all, thank you. <laughs> that's what we want. <laughs> and then there's like, you know, Stranger Dreamer where I'm like, I, Lainey Taylor said the exact perfect amount of words in that yeah. series. And so I'm all, that's perfect. Yeah. So I don't know. Just all depends on what the story the characters need to tell, I guess. Well, I'm excited. Um, we're going to get all this backstory on the mythology. I love that stuff. And Ooh-hoo. I'm curious to see if Forrest makes it. I'm wondering if he even survives it. That's another prediction I'm wondering. <laughs> Can Forrest survive the title of our next episode? I, I just I keep imagining he's going to redeem himself somehow in the end and like maybe sacrifice himself in some form to save Iris. I don't know because nobody does that for her, right? They leave yeah. her. And so I'm wondering if that'll be a full circle thing. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, thank you for listening, readers. And please, please rate and review us if you enjoyed listening. It helps us to continue to do the podcast. And like a good book, please recommend us to your friends. <laughs>